Welcome to the Wish I'd Known Then podcast, where we focus on how authors found success, looking at strategies that have taken them to the top of the bestseller charts, as well as what they've learned from their mistakes. Because being an indie author is more than knowing the latest marketing trend. It's about being innovative and creative and learning from your mistakes. Welcome to the Wish I'd Known Then podcast. I'm Sarah Rosette. And I'm Jamie Albright. And this week on the show, we have Zara Keen. She is a cozy mystery writer. She did write romance and she moved over to cozies and we'll talk about, you know, how she realized she should change to cozies that it fit her writing style better. And it's a really interesting interview. It's just Mm -hmm. chock full of information. Um, We talk a lot about newsletters and some innovative things she's doing with that. And then we go off into novel bots Mm -hmm. or chat bots and chat bots and how she's using those. And she, wanted us to be sure and mention that some, she took Cecilia Mecca's course called Novel Bots. Yep. And it's all linked in the notes. So, um, yeah, so we talk about chat bots and um, just all kinds of really good detailed information on really innovative things like selling direct, mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. And one interesting thing was she said she created her own little promotion and made um, BookBub level money Yep, when um, she did yeah. her selling direct. That so, was so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So lots of good stuff in this. Mm-hmm. So what have you been doing this week? <laughs> well, we're still on baby watch. Uh, no baby, but uh, so I'm still in Dallas with my daughter and her family. Um, been writing and my book, Running from a Rock Star, mm-hmm. uh, came out in Brazil this week. <gasps> so yeah, that's been cool. Congratulations in the top 500 in Brazil, if nice. they count the way we count, which I think they do. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, uh, it, it's pretty exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's so cool. Congratulations. Yeah. Your Thank first you. translation. Yes. It's my first translation. So I'm very excited. Yeah. How about you? What's been going on with you? Um, let's see. I had a bunch of things going on that I had sent out and they're all starting to come back. So I'm mm-hmm. getting back copy edits. Mm-hmm. I'm getting back the audio files for the audio book, mm-hmm. the how to write a series book. Mm-hmm. And um, so that was actually very smooth. Mm-hmm. I still have to go through it and upload it and everything, but right. that was not that hard. Really. Oh, that's and I great. thought it was going to be more involved, but you mm-hmm. know, once you figure out what you need to do to make right. it sound okay, right. then you can send it off to a producer, an audio right. producer like I did, and they make it sound better (laughs) and I didn't learn all the details on the editing so Mm -hmm. I just sort of outsourced that but it was really good so just stuff like that and um I watched Enola Holmes this week yes I did too (laughs) I loved it yeah loved it loved it loved it yeah I did too I thought it was really good I thought it It really captured the book oh it did okay yeah Yeah. books but yeah. yeah it um I loved it and I Hated my craft, but I think we were supposed to. Yes, I think that was yeah. part Oof, of it. He yeah, they, rough. yeah, he was not at all like some of the other Mycrofts no. that we've seen. Yes. But um, they did fill out part of the storyline in the movie that they didn't in the book. But in the books, both Sherlock and Mycroft, My, Mycroft are very not very sympathetic until you uh, kind of get more into the series. So yes. at the beginning, she's very much trying to stay away from them um, and die, trying to hide from them. So this one, um, it moves things along a know, little bit quickly. better. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. great. But yeah, no, it was good. Totally entertaining. Yeah. Uh, Millie, Millie, Bobby, 
I don't know her last name, but she's great in this yes. show. You know, she's yes. in Stranger Things, and um, but she's great in this show. Yeah. So. And I thought it was really interesting that she talked to the camera. You know, she mm-hmm. broke that wall. Yeah, she broke that wall. And that's, I, I think that's hard to do, but yeah. they pulled it off. They did really yeah. good. Uh, and more than once, she didn't even break, she didn't even talk. She just looked at the camera I like, I like, love it. We have a little secret, yes. you and I. Yes, yeah. it was great. It yeah. was great. So, yeah. anyway. yeah. Well, we should get on with the interview because it was a great one. Yes. Lots. Get your notepad and pen ready because yep. you're going to be taking notes because we certainly yep. did. <laughs> yes, we did. We did. All yeah. right. Here's Here. Zara. Hi, Zara. How are you? Hi, I'm great. Thanks. Thank you, Sarah. Uh, So let me read a quick bio and we'll jump into the question. (laughs) USA Today bestselling author Zara Keane grew up in Dublin, Ireland, but spent her summers in a small town very similar to the fictional town in her movie club mystery series. She currently lives in Switzerland with her family. When she's not writing, Zara loves knitting, running, unplugged gaming, and adding to her insanely large lipstick collection. Well, and I can say right now, her lips are on point. Let me well, just thank say. you, Jamie. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> Too bad this is audio, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, Zara, tell us what genres you write in, and how did you get into writing? I currently I write cozy mysteries with a big emphasis on the humor element, and in the past I've written romantic comedies and romantic suspense, mm-hmm. um, all set in Ireland with one. One novella is set in France, but the majority are set in Ireland. Yeah. Um, As for how I got into uh, writing, when I was a kid, I was an only child when I was growing up, and I was very into my Barbies. Like, I was obsessed with my Barbies. But I soon realized that I didn't play with them like other little girls I knew. Like, I had full-on soap opera, like Dallas, Dynasty, Falcon's Crest, had nothing on what was going on with my Barbies. And... (laughs) That sort of evolved. And I remember, like, as I got older, I used to sort of, like, write little notes to myself about what needed to happen in, like, the next event in my big saga. Saga. Right, right. (laughs) Exactly. And I guess that's probably where I got the the start with the storytelling. I was just basically entertaining myself. Yes. Yes. And when I – my first sort of taking writing seriously was uh, when I moved to Germany as a postgrad. And I spent my days listening to lectures in German, reading German and completing assignments assignments in German. So for me, um, reading genre fiction and starting to write genre fiction in the evenings was a really nice balance. And at the time, there was a growing, robust uh, online romance writing community, which is why I started writing romance, because it was very easy to get into contact with other online authors. This would have been like early 2000s. Um, RWA already had online chapters. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, so that's basically how I got started wow. with the very that's first great. pieces. That's great. I mean, RWA, you know, I'm, I started in RWA, and but we had a local chapter. So the online chapters is something I've never really um, explored. And I'm so glad that they had that and that was something you could get involved with. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I will tell you that uh, my friends, Jerry Ann and Kathy Hedrick, and I used to play Prices Right with our Barbies. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they, they, had, they had a lot more clothes than me and really, frankly, better clothes. And so we would play Prices Right to win the clothes, but I had to give them back. That was Excellent. That was Excellent. But so there, was no, there, were, there were no affairs and there was no one you know, being poisoned. Yeah. 
That's so funny. I never played with dolls and that was something that I had them, but I just didn't play with them. I was always reading. So yeah. Yeah. I did did a lot of that too, but yeah. (laughs) So what was your first big success? What would you consider your first big success? Um, really dialing it back, I would say my first big success was finally finishing a book yeah. during NaNoWriMo 2009. And mm-hmm. I got to say that the timing could not have been worse because I was, at, I, I had, uh, due to a childcare crisis, I had quit my job and I was mm-hmm. temporarily at home, temporarily. So I thought at home with my two small kids, mm-hmm. uh, the baby was teething, um, mm. everything was going crazy. And I heard about this NaNoWriMo. And I thought, you know what? I have so many sort of unfinished manuscripts. Like if I could just get myself into routine, maybe I could get past that middle, that bump in the middle. Mm -hmm. And I did it. Mm -hmm. I have no idea how I did it because I was (laughs) sleep deprived and probably running on (laughs) caffeine and adrenaline. But I did it. And I think knowing that however much of a train wreck that book was, I had a beginning, I had a middle and an end, and it gave me a huge confidence boost. So in terms of writing, I think that was my first big success. Um, In terms of publishing, I would say it was getting my first book bub for my first series in the summer of uh, 2015. That really started to get the ball rolling for me. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. book bub in 2015 was... Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's big now, but I remember a friend of mine, yeah, because I had gone to RWA, it was one of my first visits to RWA. And, um, well, Christy Craig, who we've had on the show, mm-hmm. she stood up and said that she, that one of her big announcements was she had just got the book bub. And I was like, what's book bub? And <laughs> within a few weeks, I found out pretty quickly what book bub was. I mean, that was shockingly big. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Awesome. I love it that you said your success was finishing your book, your first success, yeah. because that yeah. is so true. And there's so many people that want to write a book, but if you don't ever finish it, you just, you, it's like you get stuck and you can't move on. Yeah. So if you can finish one, even if it's not great, it was the same thing for me. Once I yeah. realized I could finish a book, cause I have beginnings, no, uh, no completions. So, mm-hmm. so, so yeah, I was queen of the first three chapters you know I would revise them and they were brilliant but they didn't go anywhere so (laughs) (laughs) that's funny well uh what do you wish you'd known about writing in craft when you first started um I think I I started out with this idea that I was going to figure out my ideal process like my ideal process for outlining for first for second draft etc and once I nailed that it was going to be like an automated machine Mm -hmm. and I've realized that my process is actually ever evolving and it totally depends on what else is going on in my life it's I've discovered it's a lot more genre dependent than I had anticipated Mm -hmm. for the cozies particularly for one particular series I'm writing I have to do a lot more research so that changes my process Mm -hmm. um so so yeah, I think that I've had to accept that what works for me now may not work for me in 18 months, but that's right. okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. I think that is so true. And I found that my process changes book to book. You know, yeah. I've always <laughs> written mysteries, but sometimes, you know, I need the sticky notes and other times yeah. I just need a big piece of paper to plot everything mm-hmm. out. It's very odd how our brains work. It's very strange. It is. It yeah. is. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder if it's not that small change to the process that doesn't get me past a hump point, you know? Right, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. yeah, That's a very good point. I think that sometimes we can get um, 
kind of married to a process and, and then we really struggle. And, but like I was just telling Sarah before we got on, I'm at 20,000 words, which is where I usually fall apart. Uh, so I know that now after three or four books. So I've got a plan in place to make sure I don't fall too far apart. So, but yeah, I think it's just doing it over and over and figuring out what works for everybody because it's different. It's different. Yeah, totally. Totally. Well, what about marketing? What do you wish you had known about marketing? I would say that I made the typical rookie mistake of thinking I needed to do all of the things and be everywhere. <laughs> and that is, it's so typical. And I see other people do it. And I'm like, just, just don't do that to yourself. But I did it. Yeah. I learned. Um, now I'm far more focused on a couple of areas of, of marketing and promotion. And I try to do those really well and, and lean into my strengths more. Um, the other aspect to marketing, I think it, that is important would be who you take advice from because when I was starting out, I didn't have, I, I, you don't know what you don't know. So my filter for advice was not as good as it is now. Mm-hmm. And I had this idea, well, you know, if somebody is a super best-selling author, then they're going to have the golden advice. And that's not always the case because sometimes the time that they started was different. Um, the way that they started was different. For example, if they got rights back to a whole slew of books and were mm-hmm. able to publish really quickly, right. um, sometimes people without meaning it, they've just simply forgotten what it was like right back at the start. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, they, yeah, that's just the way it is. So I think it's a, it's a good idea to say, pick a couple of people who are maybe one or two stages ahead of you, mm-hmm. look at what they're doing mm-hmm. and see if you can emulate that, right. that's a, a safer bet. Right. Yeah. And listening yeah. and seeing what best practice, like what is everyone doing? Like what's the one yeah. or two things that everyone's yes. doing that are su- that who are successful. And so I think I call them best practices. I mean, but that's really what I did. I just sort of thought, okay, what are the best practices that I need to focus on just these two or three things? And that, you know, it worked out, but I, and I think that's kind of what we, why we started this podcast in the first place, mm-hmm. you know, because we, yeah. we do hear a lot of the same things over and over. And mm-hmm. those are the things that people should hang on Absolutely. to. I, I know what you're saying though, because I hate it when people say, well, just don't worry about it. It'll happen. It'll come. And <laughs> when you're new, you're like, no, I, I, I want to work. <laughs> It's easy for you to say you've got 25 bucks. So I've yeah. got two, you know. And so, yeah, yeah. picking those people is important. Yeah. Another Definitely. thing I didn't realize, too, is that the advice that you get is very genre dependent at times. Yes. Oh, gosh. And yes. I remember, yeah. like, people were making huge money and having great success. And I was just like, oh, I need to do all these things. And then I realized, oh, a lot of these people, they're writing things that I, they're writing like erotica or they're mm-hmm. writing romance, which is very, very different from cozy mystery. And so yeah. the things that they were doing didn't work. So that took me a couple of years to figure that out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know that that is very true. And I certainly found that when I moved from romance to cozies as well, yeah. the audience is quite different. Quite yeah. different. Yeah. 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 So what assumptions did you make at the beginning of your writing career? And looking back, did they turn out to be right or wrong? I think the when I went into it, I had been around the writing scene long enough to know that the majority for the majority of writers, it was a marathon, not a sprint. So mm-hmm. that assumption was correct because I was by no means an out of the box <laughs> immediate <laughs> success. I'm still a work in progress, um, but I think that knowing that certainly 
it certainly helped me. Mm-hmm. I think an assumption that I had that proved to be not correct was that certainly back when I started, I, I published my first book in 2014. I was still hearing from other authors like, you know, once you have five books, mm-hmm. you'll have like a sort of a, not quite a guaranteed monthly income, but you'll have like a baseline type of thing. Well, by the time I'd reached five books, it was like, well, once you've got 10 books, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then it was, I don't know what it is now. Is it 50, 60? Just keep moving the goodness knows. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> I, got o- I got over that assumption pretty yeah. fast because yeah. there are just too many variables. You'll yeah. have somebody with one series who's hitting it out of the park right away and somebody with three where, to be perfectly frank, the money that they earn is maybe on one of those three series. Yeah. Yeah. It's just so different. Yeah, you can't it generalize. Is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's what going back to even the question four. That's why Sarah and I decided to ask pretty much the same questions every week. We have some yeah specific questions for you because I think it's important for people to hear how other people answer that. And a lot of times the answers are the same. But yeah, <laughs> I think you're really, really, you're correct because it was three when I started. Like three okay. did three books, yeah. and now it's. Not three books. It's a lot more. <laughs> we wish. We it's wish. Yeah, because I got three now. I've yeah. got yeah. five. Yeah. Yeah. So, have you ever made a mistake that turned out to be a good thing? Um, I think it was probably when I started writing what I thought was going to be an absolutely fabulous book one in a new contemporary romance series. And then I realized that I hated my hero. The entire love plot was really boring. And I I started uh, focusing entirely on the heroine. And then I realized, you know what? This is not contemporary romance. I think I'm writing a mystery. I think this is a mystery. So I just thought, okay, yeah, I'm going to take a chance on this. I'm going to roll with it and see how it goes. And yeah, that ended up being the the first few chapters of what turned out to be my first cozy mystery. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's smart great to for you to recognize it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, at the point to make I was frustrated. Romance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it came at a point where I was frustrated with my romance career. So it possibly was like this sort of, my subconscious was at work telling me, you know, no, you need to move here. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and so did you change your hero or did you or did you just take him out and then I took him out. He oh. he ended up not even being the the slow burn love interest that is in the series. That was oh, a totally great. different new character. Yeah. That's fantastic. Oh wow. <laughs> I, that's just so smart. I don't know that I would do that. I'd still be, you know, banging my head, I think again. <laughs> yeah, trying to make it work. So very good. Very smart of you. So what about this opposite? Um, have you ever done something and you thought this is brilliant, but it turned out to be not so great? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I have tons of these because I love experimenting with things. I love seeing, you know, what's going to happen. Very curious. And I even have like a, a little marketing budget for experiments. It's not enormous, um, yeah. but it is increased as I've, as I've gone on. Um, I would say like I'm a huge proponent of, learning through doing and that does involve a lot of failure but that's okay then you can take the data you can move on um i would say like one of my early mistakes was investing in uh, goodreads ads back in the day where you had to sort of (laughs) you're you're laughing (laughs) i did (laughs) you had to pay a certain amount into your account Mm -hmm. and then i had to wait for my my ads to be served and like i had i swear for years years i had a daily email coming to say like 
you've spent zero of your $100 investment, zero, zero. Now, funnily enough, they did eventually uh, pay back that money, which I did not expect. Right. When they, when they ended their then ads uh, service. Huh. But that was like last year, I think, or maybe the year before last. Wow. It was a very pleasant surprise. I had been prepared to kiss that money goodbye. Yeah, have my daily email what, update to remind me. Yeah, I had the same thing happen, and I almost didn't know what to do with the money. I was like, oh, how am I going to put this in my accounting thing? It's a refund <laughs> for ads. Very odd. Yeah. yeah, I did listen to people like Sarah and other people say they don't, don't do them. Don't. They, didn't, they don't work. <laughs> uh, so did you have any other mistakes you wanted to talk about that? I think we oh there have there have been yeah there have been tons of small things like various promos group promos that I've tried um, newsletter swaps which personally um, for me were not a great fit I'm a lot more picky about that now I actually hardly do any it has to be somebody I know and I've read the book etc that's just that's just me Um, but you know you got to try these things and Mm -hmm. sometimes they'll work out well sometimes they won't sometimes it'll be a Nah, you know, right. doesn't make a difference either way. Various uh, promo sites that didn't work out. Um, yeah, yeah. I feel like this entire career is trial and error. I yeah, mean, like definitely, <laughs> everything you do is trial and error, and you just have to be yeah. willing to go. Well, that didn't work. Let's try something else. You know, and and not let it ruin your day. You know, you exactly. Know. And the thing as well is that what didn't work six months ago might now work. Absolutely. Like Absolutely. Um, to give an example, back when I was asking people about the BookBub um, featured new book deals, mm-hmm. I remember people saying, oh, no, don't, don't do it. It's a waste of money. Well, I did it for my last release because I thought, well, this is kind of an expensive risk to take. But I haven't heard anything negative about them in a while. I'll try it. You know, it worked really well. Oh, really? And then oh. subsequently I heard from other people, oh, yeah, you know, mine work well, too which makes me think that they've built those lists, yeah. mm-hmm. but they're no Probably. longer reliant on the, on the free deal lists. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, sometimes you got to just try and then go back to it a while later and try again. Right. Yeah. And didn't people say that about Amazon ads in the beginning that they didn't work yeah. like way, way, yes. way back. Remember that? <laughs> mm-hmm. And so it does pay to kind of maybe Revisit. test things. Yeah. Oh of, yeah. 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 Uh, exactly. Well, so I know people will be curious. Let's talk a little bit about your transition from mm-hmm. Romance to Cozy Mystery. Um, how did that go? And how did, um, and you, you, you do, do you have any plans to go back and write romance again? Or how are your, how, what are your thoughts on that? At the moment, I don't, but that is also at least partially to do with time. I have a limited amount of time to write and I've feel that it's a better use of my time to concentrate on the, the mysteries at the moment. Yeah. Um, yeah, how it came about was I, I'd always intended to write mystery and romance, and it was, it was just a matter of finding the time to move to the mysteries as well. And when I started out writing, it was a lot easier to find information about writing romance because mm-hmm. romance writers still are very generous with their information. They were early adopters when it came to online resources, mm-hmm. as I referenced earlier with the online chapters. So I had a lot of support when I started writing romance. And that's why I started with that and, and not mystery. I also loved reading it. That's yeah. no question about that. Yeah. Um, so... I sort of reached a point with my romances where I realized that 
being absolutely frank, I wasn't at the point that I wanted to be in my career with my series. I had at that point three series out. Uh, one was romantic comedy, two were romantic suspense. And I was right at the point where people were, like books were getting much, much hotter. Like the, there were more sex scenes, hotter sex scenes, etc. And that is absolutely great if that's what you're good at writing. But that was not where my heart was. My heart was very much more in the the talky action, the, the that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And I guess I kind of fell out. Uh, yeah, it sounds overly dramatic, but I kind of <laughs> fell out of love with writing romance. <laughs> and I had released the second book in a new series and it went kind of not quite a belly flop, but almost a belly flop. And I thought, you know what? I really, I don't have an awful lot to lose. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be starting a new series started the new series. It started to turn into the cozy mystery. It was right before NaNoWriMo. The weekend before NaNoWriMo, I found Sarah's course on writing cozy (laughs) mysteries, which is absolutely hilarious. I binge watched those lessons. And then I wrote my first cozy. And I think what I realized, yeah, what I realized was I wasn't writing to my strengths. Like, the romance that I was writing was not focusing on where my natural talents are as a writer. I shine at humor. Um, I shine at like getting puzzles and mysteries in there at um, large uh, networks of characters and connections and stuff like that. Setting details. I could do some of that in the romances as well, but I could really do it with mysteries. Mm-hmm. So for me, it felt like coming home and I realized, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, this is, this is a lot, it's more reflective of my voice and who I am as a writer. So that's how that started. Um, And then I wrote book one of that series. And then I wrote book two. And then I started book three. So I was already writing book three when book one came out. And I was able to do the rapid release thing, at least to get the ball rolling initially. Yeah. And when was that? That was 20, uh, wait, 2017. 2017. Yeah. It was um, April 2017, and I released book one into KU. Actually, they were all in KU at first. Then book two came out a week later. Book three, I think, was about six weeks after book two, and then slightly longer between books four and books five. Yeah. Very good. That's really interesting. Well, uh, tell us about you, – you told Sarah and um, mentioned – that you uh, have spent a lot of time nurturing your newsletter. Tell us about that. And um, what do you wish you'd known about newsletters when you started? I actually, regarding newsletters, I think I got excellent advice right at the start, which was to start one, to start (laughs) one from the beginning and start building it and put that link places. I don't just have one and then not share the link. So I'm hugely grateful to the romance diva authors who, um, shared that with me. Mm -hmm. And I did that. So I've been working on that since I started since 2014. And um, it really is a it's a one person at a time deal. At first, it feels like it's taking ages, and ages, Mm -hmm. and ages, and ages, but it builds over time. Mm -hmm. And you get new readers in you lose some you get new in and so on. So yeah, with the newsletter, that is something that I that is probably my main marketing concentration. Um, that and my Facebook group, those are the two things that I do. And I do it partly because I enjoy it. 
Mm -hmm. I am an introvert. So for me, having that sort of veil between me and the reader is nice. Mm-hmm. But it also means that I can I can still make it intimate in, in the sense that I can picture a reader and I can write the campaign, the newsletter to them and hopefully have it connect with readers. Um, also, it's real estate that I own. Mm-hmm. It's not on Facebook. I have that list. That is my list. I can take it where I want. And that to me is also very important. Right. So it's a, it's a very useful sales tool. Um, I have taken a number of classes on newsletters. Among them is uh, Tammy Lebrecht's great newsletter ninja, which I loved. Mm-hmm. So great. Um, and I do, I try to keep quite a tight list. Like I do a lot of segmentation with readers. Okay. When I moved from cozy to, sorry, from romance to cozy, I did some initial segmentation as, as that people could opt into one or the other. Mm-hmm. I later ended up dumping that because I saw, you know, it, if people aren't interested in what I'm continuing to write, there's not a whole pile of point in making them segment yeah. themselves here. Right, you know? right. Yeah. So that was something that I, I finished. But what I haven't finished is, you know, um, I have a more engaged segment mm-hmm. and they will get a slightly different email from me than the less engaged segment. Really? So I will put some more personalizations into those because these are the people who are the most likely to open the, the email, read it, uh, click on the link, maybe even reply to me. Mm-hmm. So I do try to tailor it just slightly to them. And you don't even have to make huge tweaks for that. Mm-hmm. Like all it takes is maybe an extra paragraph, an extra couple of sentences, um, and I think that that does make a difference. Wow. So, see, so yeah, I do a lot with the, the segmentation. Um, I experiment with that. I usually, once a quarter, I will, regardless of who's clicked and who's opened when, I'll divide it up into, say, groups of 12 different groups and do send outs to experiment with how does that work with open mm-hmm. rates. Um, yeah, so for me, it's, for me, it's a lot more important to have an active and engaged list than a huge list. Now right. that said, I have done newsletter builders and I continue to do newsletter builders, but I'm very picky about them. Right. And, uh, you know, I hear a lot of, of talk from authors where they'll say, oh, you know, they don't work. Um, they're a waste of time. The new subscribers aren't engaged, etc." And I think that that's one of those blanket statements that I'd like to question because I do think that you can make those work for you if you adjust your expectations. If you're getting a list of like 1,300 people, not all of those are going to stay. Correct. They won't. But what I do is I have a nurture sequence. At the moment, it's a four email nurture sequence that introduces myself to these new people, gives them a chance to sample a free book, um, engages with them about who I am. And the second email, it's a follow-up. It takes them a little bit deeper into my world. The third email invites them to my reader group. And the fourth email is a is information about book two in that series. Mm-hmm. And the, the buy links for book two if they're interested, plus a pay hip direct sales discount on book two if they're interested in that. And we're going we're gonna to talk about that in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Very excited so, about that. But I'm curious. Oh, go ahead, Sarah. I was just say, what do you do? You do like after they go through that sequence, do you move them to a different list? Yes. If they don't yes. click, do you get rid of them? What do you do? 
Yeah. Uh, so once they've moved through this, the sequence, I have a look at the, the behaviors. Uh, the ones who are super engaged, you, you'll always have a few who <laughs> will open everything and click everything. They're the super engaged people. They get moved to my super engaged list. And they'll get some more of the, the personalized stuff because I reckon that's what they're interested in. People who've opened one or two will also get moved to my um, promo list. And the ones who don't open or engage at all after that, I don't keep them. I move them off my list because if they haven't engaged and I got them through a promotion, they're not going to suddenly engage 10 emails down the road. That's right. at least been my experience. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, so who are you using for your newsletter um, provider? At the moment, I have two. I have Mailer Light. I started using Mailer Light, I think, in 2016 or so. So I'm grandfathered in on a fantastic price. Okay. And I like the new features that Mailer Light has, has introduced over the years. They have great segmentation features, great tagging features. So that yeah. works for me. Yeah. I also have Flowdesk. I don't know if you've heard of Flowdesk. Mm-hmm. That's what I was going to ask you about because that's kind of yeah. new, isn't it? <laughs> it is new. I'm a yeah. fan. Mm. That's the short answer. I'm a fan. <laughs> they, they're a new service. They're still in sort of private beta. So it's still, I think, I want to say, I think I paid something like when I got a free month and from a friend and then it's like 19 a month after that or so while they're still uh, building, yeah, you get this nice intro price. Um, where they're great is they have, like many newer services, let's see how that lasts, they have excellent deliverability rates. Yeah. So you can see the open rates are slightly higher than for Mailer Light because I'm getting into Gmail accounts that I might not get into with Mailer Light. Oh, okay. So yeah. how do you use those in conjunction? Do you have different lists on different mail providers at the moment flowdesk is my backup list okay. or my backup provider if mailer lights having mailer lights has a few issues the last few months you may have heard yeah. yes. customers grumbling <laughs> so i have learned to always keep a text copy of whatever campaign i have and i can use flowdesk as a backup i've also experimented with using flowdesk instead of mailer light to see how that works right um, they have beautiful, like gorgeous templates, really sort of stylized, simple templates to mm-hmm. use that doesn't take a lot of, of fiddling to get the way that you want. So those are very pretty. Um, each month I download my list from Mailer Light and I back it up on Flowdesk just to be sure, just yeah. as a backup system. Right. I prefer to, I mean, okay, I'm at the point where I, I can pay an extra 19 a month for that security. Um, but I, I like having that backup option if there's nice. ever a glitch and I really yeah. need to get an email out. Yeah. Yeah. I know a p- couple of people who had releases and it glitched Oh, yeah, you know, and they didn't have the backup. That's so smart. Yeah. Yeah. So I was going to ask a quick question. Didn't you do something where you, um, it was between a couple of your books and you emailed your list was it the whole book or was it what you were working on? Did you do that? I had, I had a serial novella. That's what it was. For the yeah. launch of my cozy mystery series. And this is where I've, I've got to thank all those lovely romance authors that I've been <laughs> hanging out with for years because those guys are early adopters and they do things very early. Well, at the time that I was moving into cozy mystery, I couldn't, I'm not going to say it wasn't done before, but I hadn't come across a cozy author having a serial novella. 
um, to, as a send out to their readers. It was quite common in romance. I'd already done it twice. Mm-hmm. So I thought, you know what? I can write a book that, uh, like a little story of about 20,000 words that occurs before, between book one and book two in my new series and use this as, as an incentive to get people to uh, sign up for my list. And that worked really well. I had, I think it was 12 episodes, basically 12 episodes. And uh, over the course of 12 weeks, I sent a, an episode out to new, or to, or sorry, to, to my subscribers. And as people would sign up, they would get access to a private page on my website where they could read back issues mm-hmm. of it. And I actually still use that novella today for um, a newsletter freebie for new signups. I've experimented with, you know, various lengths. Like at the time, it was still okay to have longer email sendouts. I would not send a whole chapter these days per email. I would send like a snippet and a link to, and here you can read the rest. Right, right. Um, I've experimented with sending episodes like every two weeks, or sorry, excuse me, every twice a week instead of uh, once a week and so on. But yeah, that was great because it got people engaged. Like people could read book one for free because I tried to avail of the free options in KU as soon as I could for book one. Then even when book one was not free, they could still sign up and sample my writing through the serial. Mm-hmm. And I do think that that helps to get the ball rolling mm-hmm. on that yeah. particular series. Yeah, yeah. 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 I agree. Yeah. Okay, do you still have that on your website or did you take it off your website? I still have the, the private link page on the website for people who sign up and mm-hmm. it's still an option for people who sign up for my newsletter. They can get that story. Yeah, That's great. And how often do you send out a newsletter? It depends. Uh, at the moment, it's about twice a month mm-hmm. because I don't have a new release out yet. If it's new release time, it's more frequent. And I know sometimes people hear that and they go, oh my God, that's way too often. Yeah. You know, everybody's going to unsubscribe. Everybody's going to run. <laughs> my, personal, uh, my personal experience, and I have experimented with various options, is that shorter, more frequent is better mm-hmm. for keeping people engaged, uh, maintaining good deliverability rates, open rates, click rates, etc. Um, and when I say shorter, I mean like not doing a monthly newsletter where I have this, this, and this to tell them with right. three different lengths, right. but splitting those into different campaigns. Mm-hmm. And quite honestly, you don't get more unsubscribes. Like when you start it, no. yes, Mm-hmm. Like you'll get, you'll notice the first couple of times that you start to more frequently send out, there's more unsubscribes, but after that, no. Right. And you don't want them on there anyway. I mean, that's exactly. what I tell people. If yeah. they're not going to carry their weight, you don't want them, you don't want to be no. paying for them. Um, no. I wanted to start sending more for us in twice a month, but mm-hmm. I wanted to send more frequently just kind of for that reason to see who. Yeah get rid of the people that don't really want to be there. But for the people who do, I can move them to a better list sort of thing, you know, more yeah. engaged list. But I've, I've done, I'm doing this thing called new author discovery. And so mm-hmm. I have a Google form and if anybody wants it, they can go to the Facebook page and I'll, I'll put it in there, but I'm putting out new authors. If they have a, a list of 2,500 or less, I'm putting them out and I told my list that I was going to do this. And I said, you can opt in, you can opt out. It's up to you. I'm not reading the books, but I am curating Mm -hmm. them. They have to be professionally edited. They have to have professional covers, you know, um, 
and it's been great. And so the two weeks that I, you know, I'll send, I send a newsletter every week now, but two of those weeks, it's just new books that they can. And because I don't release very often, it's great for my readers. It's, it's, and they're usually in KU, so they're not losing much. You know, I mean, it's time if they don't like the book or whatever, but it's been great. And, and I've heard from these authors whose, whose books have gotten in there. It's like one person, like it was her first book and she broke into the top 100 in her category. Never in a million years. Yeah. So it's, but that's just, that's content and it's engaging your your readers and keeping them kind of satisfied when you don't have yeah. a book to put out, you know, exactly. and I don't have a crazy story to share every week. Like a lot of crazy things happen to me, but not every, <laughs> you know, it helps. Exactly. Yeah. And I also find what is great is, is, you know, ending on a, on, ending on a genuine question. Like yeah. one of my most successful campaigns recently was I gave people a list of, of some cozy mystery TV series that I'd watched during the pandemic, like mm-hmm. during lockdown. Yeah. And I asked people, like, hit me up with Rex. And this was a genuine question. Like I got so many great suggestions. A couple oh, of those shows yeah. I've already watched. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> many replies. That's and awesome. that's great for me. It gives me a, a, a nice confidence boost. Yeah. It's also great for... Um, my deliverability because the back end sees, Oh, look, people are responding. She's right. not spam. Mm-hmm. She's legit. Mm-hmm. That is also helpful. Right. Yeah. Because these, these extra emails that I'm sending, they have huge click rates. I mean, the click yeah. there, people are clicking through to these books, even if they're not buying them, they're still clicking through to see them and, yeah. you know, so that does help me. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, what, what else do you talk about? Because I know people will be thinking, oh, I, I don't have that much to tell people. What what content do you send in your newsletters? It totally varies. I have a, I have sort of like a little content bucket, which is something that I got from Chris Syme when, when mm-hmm. she and Becca Syme oh. were doing their Smarty Pants uh, podcast. So I have a few themes that I can reach back to. Obviously, I, I, I am Irish. I write books set in Ireland. So anything with an Irish theme generally goes down well. Um, certainly, at the moment, we have an awful lot of solidarity themes because we're all stuck in lockdown somewhere or have experienced it. So it's like, what are you reading during lockdown? Or what are you watching during lockdown? Um, I think I, I have one on like my favorite board games because I love playing tabletop unplugged games and stuff. Um, sometimes I write, as Jamie mentioned, like funny personal stories. Sometimes it's just what I'm writing mm-hmm. that week. So there are ways to to vary it up. And and sometimes it's simply like, you know, a little chatty one and say, hey, you know, you do know that I have a reader group. Because right. that's the <laughs> thing. Like never assume that somebody who's been on your list for six years has actually joined your reader group yet. Yeah, that's yeah. not true. Yeah. Or that even know your new book is out. I've had that happen. Yes. People yeah. reply yeah. and go, oh, I didn't know the book was out. I'm like, yeah. how could you not know? <laughs> months. <laughs> exactly exactly oh. or books on sale or you've got yeah. a deal on um yeah it's, yeah it's generally pretty easy to to find something that you can write one or two paragraphs about yeah 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 and that's a lot less intimidating to think oh i'm just going to do a short note rather than yes. a newsletter yes yes 15 yeah. different columns and links and sections mm-hmm. and stuff so yeah. yeah i mean one of my biggest uh, like email, you know, people emailing me back just recent, you know, during this whole time is like, as it, the first line was, has anyone killed someone? <laughs> Have you killed anyone yet? 
I mean, <laughs> you know, just living with your Brilliant. family and Yahoo and, but, and just how hard it was. I mean, this is hard. This is hard for all of us. You know, let me know if how, you know, let me know how I can, you know, send good vibes and prayers your way because I know this is hard or tell me what you're doing to cope with this, you know, and stuff. Yeah. And that's been really great. You know, they, they really did respond well to that. And they had some pretty hilarious stories too, you know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad that we're talking to you because I, you love to experiment and test things. And I love it when we have people on because it saves me some <laughs> some experimenting <laughs> and testing because I'm not as good at that. But um, you've also been working with chatbots. So can yes. you tell us about that? And um, would you recommend that other authors give it a try? Are there any like specific genres that it works well with? Or would you recommend it for everybody? Or not? I'm a I'm chatbot newbie. I'll quickly say this. Uh, so this is a new experiment for me that's ongoing. And so far, I'm very enthusiastic. Huh? And I'm using chatbots in conjunction with Facebook Messenger. So mm-hmm. it's, it's tied to Facebook. And I'm using a service called ManyChat, if anybody wants to look that up. Okay. They are super easy to use. They integrate with um, Facebook Messenger. And they have a free plan and they have a, a paid tier. And you can do a lot with the free plan if you want to experiment. I wouldn't go investing major money when you're just at the experimental phase. I have moved into the paid tier because I want to do a little bit more with it, expand my experiment a bit more. So basically what that is, is you have the option to invite people to chat with your bot. You can create like a little workflow. And I have a workflow that is based on my main character in my uh, first Cozy Mystery series. So like the the pitch is like, do you want to chat with Maggie? They go, they chat with Maggie. Maggie asks them if they've read um, one for books. If they have or they haven't, they go in different directions. So it engages them throughout and it's a bit of fun. And there's like a little quiz that they take with Maggie. And then um, at the end, it's, it says that I will be in touch when my next book comes out. So the one thing you need to be careful about with chatbots is because of Facebook's rules and transparency rules, when you're setting it up, Um, the first text that people receive, it has to be very clear that they have an option to unsubscribe. Right. And also something that is, um, has a specific purpose. Like mine says for my new novella that's coming out in September, this was the latest one that I I did for the anthology uh, that Sarah and I are both in a, a cozy mystery anthology together. So what I loved about it was I, as I said, I'm an introvert it's a great way for an introvert to market because you can do what you do anyway. You can write a little story, you can split it up. It's kind of like a little yeah, mini choose your own adventure, mm-hmm. engage readers that way um, and engage with people who are already in your sphere. So mine at the moment is focused on people who are already Facebook, uh, Facebook page fans um, in my Facebook group on my list. It's a way to sort of deepen the relationship. You can, however, integrate it with Facebook ads so that if somebody comments on an ad post, they have um, a little invitation pops up. Hey, do you want to chat with the main character? And that can invite them into your bot to hopefully engage with them. Now that is something I have on the list to do this month, Mm -hmm. but I haven't done it yet. So I will have to report back. But where I see it is, it's a great sort of, um, what is that phrase? I'm going to get it wrong because I know it's popular at the moment. Omni channel marketing, I think it's called. 
Sounds good. It sounds sounds great, doesn't it? It sounds so professional. Maybe you've coined a term there. (laughs) (laughs) But like basically um, engaging with the same people, but on multiple channels, even if it's it's on Facebook, different ways. Uh, It's like another way to get your name in front of them. They go, oh yeah, okay. Yeah, she's got a new book out. I can check Mm -hmm. that out. So yeah, I'm curious to see how that works. Well, and, you know, in my group, I have some people in my group that have never read my books. I'm like, how do yeah. I get here? Like, <laughs> so, so for, for, and I know how, I mean, it's, you know, either content, you know, book giveaways or something like that. That's how they got in. But, um, so something like that would be great. Like in your group to have exactly. People, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. To get those people more involved. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. That is very cool. And um, just, I think the name chatbot just doesn't appeal to me at all. But when you describe it as a choose your own adventure, I'm like, oh, I'm intrigued. Tell me more. I mean, that sounds much more interesting and more interactive, I think. Yeah, I just just clicked on a friend of mine's. She was doing one and it was so interesting, you know, you could, because you could say, you know, do you think they should have done this? Or um, I think she did. Do you wish he had done this or that? And then, yeah, it was really cool. So. Yeah, yeah. And then, do you wrap? Do you point them? Like, do does each one have a destination that you want the, or yeah. a call to action? Yes, yeah. yes, yes. The call, the call to action for um, the one that I'm currently running is: if you haven't read book one in this series, please go download it and read it. <laughs> and <laughs> the other is that I'm I'm getting permission from them to be able to contact them without paying to contact them again. Um, to let them know that I have a new release because of spam laws, etc. It's there are quite strict rules on, on how you can use the the chat. Like you can't just get people into your bot and then just send them constant messages and bombard them after that. It has to be for a specific purpose. Mm-hmm. But then you can re-engage them with something else that they can opt into. So there are ways around this. And I know there are people out there going, oh hey, I don't want <laughs> I don't want to get something in my messenger. I don't want to, but you're not your reader. And you know, think about that before, you know, before you make a, just a judgment, think about your readers and how they want to engage with you. So don't just dismiss this out of hand because you wouldn't want a message coming to your messenger. So. I think that's I mean, I've seen romance authors where they have like their heroes chat with the readers and yes. readers just love that and stuff like that. There's, there's so many ways to experiment. I mean, we're creatives, so we can get creative with our content. That's t- totally true. Well, speaking of getting creative, tell us about selling direct from your website. Now, that is something that I have experimented with and can give more concrete results. <laughs> so <laughs> I set up a, actually during the pandemic, one of those things is like, okay, yeah, I've got a bit more time on my hands that I can use for something. And also the sort of the, the whole, I, I can't swear on your podcast, but cover my behind <laughs> with an extra route for my books. Like everything collapses. So I started looking into selling direct and I'd heard good things about pay hip, mm-hmm. particularly because they integrate with book funnel. Mm-hmm. for delivering books. Yes. So I set up a PayHip account. And what PayHip does is basically it's a, for want of a better term, it's a file storage system plus payment processing system. So you upload your 
book files there. You set up your, uh, you, well, first of all, you set up your little store, um, you upload your book files, and um, they, you can sell direct through them. So there is a plugin that you can put on your website as well. Mm -hmm. um, there are individual book links that you can share with people. But what is really cool, actually two, th two, two things are really cool. One is the fact that you can, you can do flash sales that you cannot arrange on the bigger bookstores, like trying to coordinate something like that as an indie, that is a nightmare. I've yeah. been there, done that, and <laughs> it was not fun. Right. Um, you can create coupon codes mm -hmm. so that newsletter readers can get a discount if they input a code. You can have like upgrade things where if they put a book into their cart, then you have a little sign to say, well, if you add this book too, you get such and such a discount. So there's tons of marketing options that you can use. And probably the coolest part for us as authors is you get paid immediately. Yes. <laughs> Somebody buys the book, you have the money. Yes. <laughs> you know, we're not used to that. We're used no, to having to wait all. like yeah. at least a few weeks, depending yeah. on the vendor and, and right. a couple of months. For, for others so yeah I set that up and I have to admit I didn't have like major expectations of it mm -hmm. I initially wanted to set it up as a cover my behind thing and as an experiment with my newsletter sequences the, the welcome sequences mm -hmm. where people would come um, in and I would have another way to pitch to them book two right mm -hmm. now, I was aware going into it that not everybody is going to feel comfortable with buying direct like that. Right. They're just not going to feel comfortable with getting a file delivered to them that they don't know what to do with. Right. Right. So mm -hmm. it's not going to be for every reader. Right. Um, that is also where book funnel comes in because yeah. you can integrate your book funnel books with PayHip and get book funnel to deliver the, not only deliver the files for you, but deal with the customer service with tech right. issues. So that has been awesome. I have never had to deal with a tech issue. Like just send them to Bookfellow. Right. Yeah. Um, so I first started out with the, the discount code um, for book two to see like what are people's comfort level. And because of the way that um, you pay, pay hip, I'm on the free tier, which means that I don't pay a specific monthly fee. Mm -hmm. So that means each transaction costs me 5% of what I'm charging. So okay. all of my books have a base price that is exactly the same as what I'm charging on the other vendors. Mm -hmm. But then I can implement things like coupon codes mm -hmm. and I'll end up getting at least as much, if not more than I would from one of the other stores, but the readers get a discount. Right. So that's also nice. Yeah, that is nice. And we, we should say you can only do this if you are wide. Yes, yes, that is true. You're yes, I'm you wide. Exactly. If you're wide and you're on all the vendors, then you can do this. That's exactly. Amazing. Yeah, that is a nice thing. Yeah. So then I decided, okay, well, July, I'm going to do a Christmas in July sale. I'm going to experiment yeah. with this. Yeah. I'm going to create a 50% discount code that is store wide. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to promote it just to my newsletter to start just to them. And I did that. The sale lasted, I think it was a 48 hour, it was 48 or 72 hours, something like that. I think it was actually 72 hours, but I put 48 hours just because of time zones and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and I sent it off to my newsletter. I made decent bookbub style money that month from that promotion. I was nice. so, I was amazed. Like, I'm not talking 2015 bookbub money, I'll yeah. quickly say. <laughs> yeah. But like, you know, a, a, book that, a book that performs reasonably well on bookbub and gets nice sell through to the series kind of yeah. money. Right. And 
it was it was interesting because I got to see like what deals are people going for. Yeah. Clear the box sets were a huge hit. Yeah. Because they were fifty percent off. Um, it made me think, you know, down the road I want to create maybe exclusive box sets just mm-hmm. to sell via PayHip, have an exclusive monthly deal just through PayHip. But what it did show me is, you know, it's a great way if if you're not getting a book bub deal, because I mean we we want book bub deals all the time, but we only have so many books and they'll only take so many times and then you have fallow periods where they won't take you at all. So (laughs) you know what I mean? It's like, it's another way to create a revenue stream. Right. Yeah. Where you wouldn't otherwise have it. Yeah. That's so cool. So interesting because in my mind, I think, well, my newsletter readers, they've already, they already know about my books and they've already got my books, but obviously I should test it and find out if that's true because obviously you had readers and maybe like they've, read one or two books, but they haven't read a whole series, but they're like, oh, yeah. well, if they're on sale, I'll get them. Exactly. Or that. maybe were you, so you were in KU earlier, right? I was in KU early. Yeah, exactly. When we were talking about my first cozy mystery series, I launched that in KU, but I've been wide since uh, the start of, I want to say 2019. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so that might be an opportunity for people who had borrowed the books to buy them mm-hmm. themselves. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. And I don't, I've been really trying not to look at reviews, but I happened to go to my box set and saw that I had quite a few more reviews than I did the last time I looked. So I just Mm -hmm. glanced at them and several of them said I'd read book one and book two, but hadn't read the other books. So I got the box set and I was like, Oh wow. I hadn't even thought about that. I was just thinking maybe people would buy book one or get it on KU and then get the box set after that. But they'd actually read two of the books and went on to the box set. So yeah, yeah. again, never, never assume, never assume <laughs> anything about your readers. <laughs> exactly. Want to read. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So, yeah. Well, but, I think that's really interesting. And I yes, like the idea so cool. of doing the box set and mm-hmm. having that be um, like something that you can promote just to your list. Yes. Like, because yeah. I had a reader email me and ask for a box set for I can't remember if it was four through six or the whole thing. And I have a series that hasn't been boxed up at all. And I was like, oh, okay, I could yeah. box those up. And the only place you could get them would be on my pay hip or, you know, yeah, and yeah, then if yeah. I want to release them later, I could. So I think that's very interesting. So I'm yeah. making a little list over here of things yes. I'm going to do. <laughs> I'm going to remind you, Sarah, because you, know, that you need to get on that. Um, that and true. I will say that we were chatting with uh, Zara before we started, and she did say that, you know, if you're in the States, there are some tax things that she right. doesn't have to deal with because she's in the UK. So uh, you'll just want to look at that and uh, investigate Yeah, that. and everybody's got to check their own tax jurisdiction yeah, okay. so it's yeah. different States for different. everybody so different. yeah so you do have yeah. to handle the sales tax but you know if it's going as well as that then that's you know that's nothing yeah. that's just yeah. a little thing you have to deal with yeah <laughs> as you count your money as it comes in yeah, early exactly. yeah that's so great yeah. so Zara, tell us the one thing you think you did to set yourself up for success uh, I think it was probably um, cur- curating my online experience yeah. early, yeah. like just getting very focused on what I wanted to see on my social media, what sort of conversations I wanted to involve myself in, in the indie author community, um, the voices that I, w- I wanted to have in my head. Yeah, I think that 
really, really helped me. And I have to be honest, I did not do that the first couple of years. I got <laughs> myself dragged into, you know, online discussions and Twitter things and all <laughs> of that stuff. And it's, they, they never end and they're a time suck, like massive time yeah. suck. So I got myself out of a lot of larger author groups. I'm now in some small, smaller ones. Um, got over my fear of FOMO. And I, as I said, I, I tried to curate my online experiences as much as possible because then I, I miss a lot of the negativity and stuff. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because there's, so there's no winning, does there? No, 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 no. No. <laughs> no. And we were talking about memes earlier, and I saw this meme one time, and it said, I changed my mind after I read someone's Facebook post, said no one ever. Yeah. You know, it's like you just, people, you can't change people's minds, and it's probably better just to disengage. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, too true. Yeah. Too true. Well, where can people find out more about you and your books? Okay, I have a website, uh, zarakeen.com. I'm also on Facebook. I have a page, Zara Keen Author. And I have a reader group called the Ballybeg Bells, which is named after my first series. Very uh, good. Yeah. Very good. Well, thank you for being here. This has been awesome. I've, I've yeah. learned a lot. I've been taking notes over here. So. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you so much. I learn a, a lot from your episodes as well. So oh, thank good. you. It's a yeah, real honor to be asked. Yeah. Uh, Thanks well, for joining us. It's, yeah, I think it'll be really to. helpful. All so right. you can find all the show notes and the links at wish I'd known then for writers.com and uh-huh. we'll have all that there. Bye everybody. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Wish I'd Known Then podcast. We hope this episode inspired you, empowered you, and made you laugh a little bit too. If you loved it, tell your friends about it. And if you feel so inclined, leave us a review. We look forward to being with you again next week.